Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin and former Detroit Tigers pitcher Dan Petrie. Loyalty. It's something that's thrown around a lot, especially when people wax poetically about the past, how loyal. There used to be loyalty to their teams. There used to be loyalty. Players were loyal to their fans. Money has ruined the game, and back then, it was about loyalty and love the game. Of course, anyone who's done 45 minutes of research on the history of baseball, the history of money, and the history of labor in baseball knows that that's full of crap. You know, and Cap Anson, who history has not looked very kindly upon because he was a racist asshole, but when Cap Anson was playing, there was talk about how money was influencing the game and how people jumped from team to team with the allure of bigger cash here, bigger cash there, and people actually using aliases so they could play on one team here and play on one team there and make a little money there and make a little money here. And this was in the 1870s when there was players jumping ship from team to team. The reason why, and this is, I mean, this is, it always drives me bananas when people talk about how, you know, in the old days, a player played with a team for, you know, he stayed with the team, he was there, you know, if they talk about, you know, DiMaggio or whomever it is, that, that they don't take into account the fact that there was no choice in the matter. Players didn't have a choice. Players had, there was what was called the reserve clause. And the reserve clause was interpreted by the owners to mean that when a season was over, the owners had the right to renew the contract, to, to negotiate with the players and come up with a new contract. And if there was no agreement for a contract, that they would just renew the previous contract. And that was interpreted to mean that they could do that in perpetuity. That if a team wanted a player, they could just renew him. They could just bring him back. And if they didn't want him, they can just cut him. So a player had no recourse. A player couldn't take an offer from another team. If you were Jimmy Fox, if you were Pie Trainer, if you were Hannes Wagner, if you were Rogers Hornsby, you were re-signed by the team and you stayed with that team unless the team felt that they could make a deal and trade you as, as um, what's his name, Rogers Hornsby was dealt, as Babe Ruth was dealt, as Jimmy Fox was dealt. And those usually came about for financial reasons. Like, well, you know what, we're not making much money. We can trade this person over here and you know, get such and such players back. And in the case of Rogers Hornsby, it was a very shrewd trade that the Cardinals traded Hornsby at the peak of his power to the Giants, and they got back Frankie Frisch, who later led the next great wave of Cardinal teams. But there was never loyalty. If you, it's like, you know, think about if you went to, like, public school, okay, 
you weren't loyal to the public school that you went to. It wasn't like, well, I was fielded offers from other towns. Like, no, that's the public school you have to go to. You're assigned to public school. My kids go to public school. And it's not like, okay, well, do you want more? We're looking at some schools in Santa Monica, and if we get a nice offer from Glendale, no, we have to go in the town that we live in. It's not loyalty, it's just necessity. And it was a similar thing for the players in the age before free agency. They had no say in the matter. It wasn't until Kurt Flood said, no, I don't want to be traded to the Phillies. And that lawyers, finally, there finally was some power and some lawyers working with the players. And they actually took a look at the reserve clause and say, wait a minute, this isn't in perpetuity. The contract says that you can renew the player at the end of the season for that season. You get one renewal, not forever. It doesn't, it isn't like 20 go to uh, 40, 40 go back to 20. It's not a, it's not a loop. It's end after that. Boy, I just made a basic programming joke from the 1980s right there that I don't even think I got and I said it. So loyalty doesn't really kick in until there comes a choice. There comes a choice of staying with a team or going elsewhere. You can say a player like Tony Gwynn or Kirby Puckett or Cal Ripken were loyal because they had a chance to go to other clubs. You can say a player like Steven Strasburg. You want to talk about loyalty, don't bring up Joe DiMaggio. Bring up Steven Strasburg. Steven Strasburg is the absolute symbol of loyalty because if he went out on the free agent market this year where he would be heads and shoulders and big golem ears. Do you ever know Steven Strasburg has golem ears? Big golem ears. If he went out there, he would have been the biggest prize of any pitcher that was available out there. He would have made, I'm going to just say, $50 million more than he did by re-signing with the Nats. But do you know what? He likes the Nats. He likes playing with the Nats. He feels loyalty to the Nats. So he stayed with the Nats. That's loyalty. That's loyalty that Joe DiMaggio may have had that chance to be loyal, may not have had that chance to be loyal. Now you could say other players like Jeter stayed loyal, but do you know what? Jeter never really tested the free agent market except once towards the end of his career, and he seemed to be bitter that he was asked to, that the Yankees said, well, go out there and you know, see what your best offer is. And he kind of whined about it, like, well, why am I not just being offered a great big contract? Why are they calling me greedy? Well, because you're acting entitled. So loyalty doesn't really exist. It doesn't, it's not really a factor before the era of free agency. Now, I will make an exception to this. I will make an exception to a player showing, showing a sense of loyalty to his team, pre-free agency. And that player is Stan Musial. But Sully, Sully, you're contradicting yourself. Stan Musial was bound by the reserve clause. How could he have shown loyalty 
to the St. Louis Cardinals. Why do I always make the people who disagree with me sound like Edith Bunker or have that sound of whiny voice? I don't know why. I don't know why. And, if, and, and I'm, not, I'm not impersonating any one person. Okay, that's just the voice of the person who I hear that is disagreeing with me and is wrong. Uh, yeah, on the surface, yeah, it looks like Stan Musial should be lumped in with all those great heroes from another era. But the fact of the matter is, he did have a chance to make a lot more money. He made, had a chance to go elsewhere, to leave the St. Louis Cardinals and play elsewhere. And I, I have to say this. This is going to sound weird because Stan Musial is one of the great baseball players of all time. And I, and I think, along with Frank Robinson, possibly the most underappreciated. I mean, you know, Musial is looked upon as an all-time great. He should be looked upon as one of those in the conversation of greatest players ever. I mean, whether or not he is better than Aaron or Mays or whomever, uh, he should be at least in the discussion. Now, Stan Musial was a, uh, a superstar, a superstar who put up unbelievable numbers and became, um, I think it's safe to say, the greatest player in Cardinals history, certainly the most beloved player in Cardinals history, and one of the most staggeringly consistent players. If you take a look at all the batting titles he won, all the times he led the league in on base, all the time he led the league in slugging, all the time he led the league in hits, in doubles and triples, and runs bad in, up and down his career, just consistently put together unbelievable numbers. Um, and he, by 1942, was a World Series winner. By 1944, he won a second World Series. In 1946, won his third World Series. He was, by, in the, in the mid-40s, Stan Musial was an established Cardinal, and he was a, a champion several times over, an MVP a couple of times, a great ball player, and one of the great stars in all of baseball. And in that time in the mid-1940s, in 1946 actually, before the season where the Cardinals would win their third championship with Musial as the star, Musial had a chance to make a lot of money by leaving the Cardinals. Let me explain to you what happened. The reserve clause kept them in the game. They had no benefits. They had no union. They had no retirement fees. And by the way, I want to just point out, um, I want to, I'm using as a, as a reference for some of this, I, I've found several articles. There's a wonderful blog post that I'm using as a uh, as a reference here, written by uh, Joe uh, Gazzardi for Baseball Past and Present. I'm going to leave a link to this blog post on Sully Baseball, and I'm going to follow it on uh, Twitter, where they talked about this story. What happened was there were a lot of players who lost some of their prime in World War II. Stan Musial was one of them. Ted Williams probably would have cleared 3,000 hits, maybe even 600 home runs if he didn't lose all those years to the war. Age 24, uh, Stan Musial missed the entire season of 1945 serving in the Navy. All those great years served by Bob Feller. 
Yogi Berra. I mean, so many great players, you know, uh, um, Hank Greenberg. How many players lost years to World War II? Now, of course, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think any one of them said, damn it, I could have done this, I could have done that. I mean, everyone seemed to, to realize that, uh, you know, it was the right thing to do to fight for the freedom of the, of the world. But back from the war, the salaries were not going up, the benefits were not going up, and the bargaining power was the same. And for some of the players, that was something that was starting to be kind of sort of unacceptable. They were starting to kind of sort of see, what the hell is going on here? Why are we only being paid X amount? Why are our salaries not going up? We see that baseball is making money. You know, we're big stars. Why aren't we paid like big stars? And why can't we shop our services elsewhere? Why am I bound to this team? But for whatever reason, I'm stuck with this team forever, not realizing the illegality of the reserve clause. That's when someone whose name you probably don't know, but made an offer. His name was Jorge Pascal, and he was a wealthy man in Mexico. According to this article, he was an importer-exporter. Not exactly sure what that means. But he was creating a league, a league in Mexico. And it was essentially a minor league, essentially was, you know, what you would think. It's, it was a professional league, but was a league that was looked upon as inferior to the major leagues. But Jorge Pascal was someone who was forward-thinking. He saw an opportunity to potentially lure disgruntled major league players to play in his league. And he offered, according to this article by Joe Gazzardi, offered Stan Musial a five-year guaranteed salary of $125,000. He was making about 13, according to this article, 13000 a year. He was now being offered $125,000 plus a $50,000 signing bonus. Uh, the, and in the article, that would have been the equivalent of a $7 million deal to leave St. Louis and play in Mexico. And to basically go and turn the attention and give the Mexican League a giant star. Kind of like when the USFL brought Herschel Walker in, you know, or the North American Soccer League brought Pele in to play for the New York Cosmos. But unlike Pele, who was at the end of his career, this was Musial in his prime. This would have been Musial age 25. And on the verge of, before one, two, three, four, five, six more batting titles and two MVPs in three years to bring that Stan Musial, one of the bright stars, to Mexico. He turned it down. 
he turned down the opportunity to make that kind of money and stayed with the St. Louis Cardinals, showing loyalty to Major League Baseball, perhaps showing loyalty to America, as opposed to going to Mexico and becoming wealthy and essentially playing and creating a new league and creating a new sensation and creating a situation that if Musual went, perhaps that would have lured other players as well, would have given the league a sense of legitimacy. Now here is the thing that makes me lament that. Here is the detail that makes me say, damn it, I wish he did that. I do. I wish he did. I wish he didn't show loyalty to the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, Stan Musial, if he had done that, he may have not become the legendary player, may not even become the Hall of Fame, may have been this obscure player. Who knows, it may have been a disaster. But the reason why I wish he did is when you consider that the Mexican League was a haven for some of the black stars who could not break the color barrier. Now, baseball had a rule, according to this article, and I read this in one of the other articles I read on this as well, that if you left Major League Baseball and played in Mexico, you got a lifetime ban from the Major League. So perhaps Stan Musial, even all the money in the world and the temptation of becoming wealthy in Mexico could not leave those years playing in the major leagues on the table. So perhaps that was the main thing that kept him from jumping ship. But if he had, players like Cool Papa Bell, players like Ray Dandridge, players like Satchel Paige in their prime would go and play in Mexico. And you've read stories about black players leaving America and going to Mexico, going to the Dominican Republic, going to Cuba, and playing in the leagues there and being treated like kings and not coming back to America, saying, why would I go back? I'm making money here. I'm not being discriminated the way I would be in America. I'm treated with dignity. I mean, there was a great quote in, from one of the players, one of the Negro League players, saying that he found dignity and acceptance in one of the winter leagues. I can't remember if it was Mexico or the Dominican, that he never got in America. And so you saw a bunch of those players play in their prime there. And to have Stan Musial playing in his prime, one of the great regrets and one of the great frustrations that I have about the era of segregation in baseball, beyond just the social injustice, was we were robbed of great baseball. Some of the names, whether it's Josh Gibson or Cool Papa Bell or Turkey Stearns or Bojum Wilson or Satchel Paige or uh, Martin DeHingo or uh, Willie Wells, any of those players could have been associated via the reserve clause with one team. Would Satchel Paige have been a great member of the St. Louis Browns? Would Josh Gibson have been a legendary Philadelphia Philly? Who knows? And who knows what the history of baseball would have been altered forever 
Maybe some of those 27 championships the Yankees won would have gone to another team, or maybe the Yankees would have signed Josh Gibson and he would have broken Babe Ruth's home run record. Who knows? I don't know and you don't know. But what I'm saying is the loyalty showed by Stan Musial denied us a chance of a league that was integrated, not part of America, but integrated, being a place where some of the best talent in baseball could have said, hey, I could play there. I could become more wealthy. That's talent goes where money is. Why isn't soccer bigger in America? Is it because the, the athletic ability to play soccer is more prevalent in Brazil or in Spain? No, it's because our best athletes here gravitate to where the money is. There's not as much money in soccer in America as there is in baseball, as there is in basketball, as there is in football. And so that's where you gravitate towards. The best talent gravitates to who's handing out the checks. Why do you think there's all these the great artists painted pictures of religious images? Was it because they were all spiritual? No, it's because the, the, the church was, was, was picking up the tab. I don't think Michelangelo wanted to be lying in his back painting the fingers touching. But it was a gig. If you're a really talented person who's a graphic artist and everything now, you're not, you're not on your back painting the, the top of the Sistine Chapel right now. You're working in advertising because that's where the money is. And if you're a good baseball player, you're going to go to who's handing out them checks. That's why I have no problem calling it the World Series because all the best players in the world come here to play. They don't go play for the British Baseball Federation and the London Mets, okay? As much fun as that is there, they don't play in Japan. They have a wonderful league in Japan, but the best players there say, F this, I'm going to America to play because that's where the money is. And that's where the, the money and the highest level of play. So you had a chance to see baseball where they're forking out the dough and perhaps you would have seen an integrated game with the best players jumping ship and heading to Mexico. Were the chances that high to happen? No, probably not. Probably not. But who knows what would have happened if Stan Musial, as big a star as there was in the game at the time, led the way. If Stan Musial picked up the dough and said, oh man, that's, uh, that's a little too tempting for me to turn away. And suddenly the Mexican League became the League of Stars and the League of Integration. Stan Musial hits one in the gap, scoring cool Papa Bell. That's a universe that may have existed. It doesn't exist. Stan Musial was loyal. And in this case, I wish he wasn't. I will leave a link to the article on sullybaseball.com, and I'll forward it on Twitter. Go to sullybaseball.com. You can go to MLB Reports to see the up-to-date listing of who owned baseball. You can go to iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Instagram. You can go on Instagram. I'm at Sully Baseball Podcast. Uh, like me on Facebook. Subscribe on Twitter. You can be old school. Send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, pining 
for a potential Mexican League alternate universe. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. I don't know if I'm leaving money on the table. And you can call me Sullivan.